Philippians 1, uh, verse 12 to 26. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to be, depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. If you want to be a Navy SEAL, you need a thing called ambiguity tolerance. Uh, It's a psychological measure for how comfortable you feel for when things go absolutely pear-shaped, right? So imagine you are an SAS troop or you're a Navy SEAL uh, and you need to parachute into this hostile area and trek across a jungle and then set up an ambush and assassinate a dictator. That's the mission, right? But your airdrop goes wrong and you land in the ocean and then half of your squad kind of dies in a firefight and you miss the rendezvous and you need to be able to cope with all of that and keep going. The SAS want people who can find themselves in an ambiguous situation like that and work out the problems, uh, find a solution, get on with it and assassinate the dictator. That guy's got to die, right? That's what they want. That is ambiguity tolerance. The ability to cope when all those things go wrong. And the Apostle Paul has that. In tonight's passage, we get to listen in as he tells the Philippians all about the things that have come at him and how he's reacted, all that's happened, and not just in terms of what he did, but in terms of his thinking, his attitude, uh, what he's done uh, when things have gone pear-shaped. And listening in on that is going to help us. It's going to help us learn how uh, we can have that same focus. Uh, The same focus on the mission that an SAS a soldier needs, that Paul has for his mission, uh, he wants for us to know our purpose, to know our mission in life, 
so that we can have that same focus on it. This section that we read uh, from 12 to 26 kind of breaks into two parts. Uh, The first part is from verse 12 through to verse 18, and it looks at what has happened. And then from uh, the last bit of verse 18 through to 26, it's all about what will happen. And in both parts, Paul tells us something of his mission. And we're going to dig into that as we go into those two parts. The key piece of background information that you need to know before we get going is that Paul's in prison, probably in Rome, and he might have been there for quite some time. You get a sense as you read through Philippians that this could be the end for Paul. He's facing a trial and depending on how it goes, he could be executed at the end of it. And that sets the context for everything that's going to come uh, from here. So first up, the first section, verse 12 to 18, what has happened? It's really clear there in verse 12, this is how he starts off. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul wants the Philippians to know that even though he's been thrown into prison, it has been good, good for the progress of the gospel. Uh, It feels like I guess if you're looking at it from the outside in, it feels like the airdrop has gone wrong and and Paul's uh, SAS gospel unit has been captured and thrown into prison and the the mission's a, a complete failure. But Paul says, no, it's actually served to progress the gospel. Let's read on, verse 13. As a result, it has been, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. See, that is his mission. His mission is to progress the gospel, to tell people about Jesus. And so then he finds himself in prison and he thinks to himself, well, you know, there's people in prison, I'll just tell them about Jesus. And so that's what he does. That is some ambiguity tolerance right there, right? The plans change, no worries. What is the mission? The mission is to tell people about Jesus, so let's find some people. And I'm here in chains, let's talk about that. I'll tell them why I'm in chains for Jesus. I'll explain that I'm here because I'm in chains for calling Jesus Lord. Uh, Paul has that ability to, to flex no matter what the situation and keep focused on the goal. I reckon if you put him out on the oak lawn, uh, relaxing in the sun on a Friday afternoon, he'd find a way to talk about Jesus and the promise of true rest. He'd find a way to talk about Jesus wherever he is. But even if they put him in solitary confinement, Paul is not just concerned about him. He's not just concerned about his telling people about Jesus. Have a look at verse 14. Uh, He goes on, he says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more, all the more, to proclaim the gospel without fear. There's the mission again, right? To proclaim the gospel. Now, can you imagine something like that happening, right? Imagine that uh, Evan McFarlane right now is at the St. Matthew's Church building. He's our senior minister at St. Matthew's, and there's a service on there. Uh, Imagine if tonight police raid the St. Matthew's building and they arrest him. 
for preaching from the Bible. Now, how would you feel about coming to Uni Church next week? See, there's a chance it could make us all want to just go into hiding, right? How, how would I feel? You know, would I be bold enough to stand up here this time next week and say, turn up Philippians chapter 2, everyone, we're into it. But what if, in that intervening week, we hear that Evan's in jail and has been telling people about Jesus? And some of the guards have turned to Christ and there's a little prison Bible study flaring up. (laughs) You know, it'd still be scary to come back here next week, but wouldn't it be great to have seen the power of the gospel at work, to have an example of what it looks like to put everything on the line for Jesus. That's what's happened in Rome. Uh, Christians have seen that they can take risks, that God keeps being faithful, He keeps working through the gospel. Being put in prison hasn't diverted Paul from his mission, uh, the progress of the gospel. And Paul's ambiguity tolerance extends even further. He stays focused on the mission, even if things get worse and worse for him. As long as the mission goes forward, Uh, he's happy. So if he needs to run across open ground to draw enemy fire away, uh, then he's happy to do it because the mission is what matters, not his own comfort, not his own reputation. That's the case there in verse 15. Uh, In this little section, it looks like there's two groups. One group knows something there in verse 16 and one group supposes something in verse 17. The first group are on board. Paul says that they know that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. That word put here is a military term. It's like, you know, in the movies they've got those big tables and the general has a stick and they kind of push the troop, you know, little figures into various places. It's like that. He's the general locating his troops. That's Paul, he's been put there by God. He's a soldier under orders, placed by God in prison so that he can defend the gospel as part of his trial. And so there's a group out there who know that and so they go on preaching Christ because Paul can't be out there doing it. The other group, it says, uh, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition supposing, supposing that they can stir up trouble for Paul. Now, the stirring up trouble sounds like they've arranged for some prisoner to shiv him or something, you know, rough him up in jail. But it's more likely that it's some kind of inward affliction for Paul, that he will see them out there kind of making disciples and he'll feel angry, he'll feel jealous, like, oh... That's so frustrating. They're out there kind of building this uh, big following and I'm stuck here. Uh, they suppose it'll be painful for Paul. But they don't know Paul. Right? His plan was to be free and to, to make disciples of Jesus by, for him, you know, as he went. But that plan is gone, right? He's been put in prison. He can't do it. Uh, But that's not his mission. 
His mission isn't for him to make disciples. His mission is the progress of the gospel. And so he can rejoice even if someone else is doing it, even if they're doing it out of rivalry. It doesn't need to be him. He's concerned for the progress of the gospel. Last year, Hillsong Church moved onto campus here. Um, Just like that, all of a sudden, you know, the biggest church brand in Australia with all their uh, money and resources moved in about 250 metres that direction onto campus. And there's a chance that Uni Church, you know, little old Uni Church might feel threatened by that. You know, their music isn't as good, but still, that <laughs> we could feel that as a threat, right? And so a number of people asked me, they said, you know, are you worried that Hillsong has moved onto campus? But you tell me, what would Paul say about that? Verse 18 is what he tells the Philippians. Uh, about these folks preaching out of rivalry. He says, but what does it matter? But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. What does it matter? See, they think he'll be in agony watching them out there preaching Christ and winning people to Jesus. And he loves it. That is exactly what he's on about. Uh, He loves the fact that Christ is preached. And we should feel the same way. Please, uni churches, do not be jealous for your ministry. Do not be jealous about uni church. Uh, Don't be competitive uh, over whether your hub group is the biggest or the kind of most happening. Right? We must not be jealous about those things. Be jealous for the fact that Christ is preached. That's what we need to be about as a church. If they're going to preach Christ, as far as that is true, if they're preaching Christ, let's have 20 churches on campus. How many lecture theatres are there? Let's have that many churches on campus if they're going to preach Christ. Because that is the mission. And the impulse to be competitive as a Christian, to to see each other as rivals, that impulse is very strong and we must not have that in us. Proclaiming Jesus is the mission. So stay on target, rejoice in that, whether it's us or whether it's someone else, that is what we want, for them to preach Christ and we should rejoice. Paul's understanding of his mission is so strong that when everything else around him goes wrong, when he gets thrown into jail, uh, he keeps rejoicing in the progress of the gospel. That's what he's on about. That's what has happened. He's rejoicing in the progress of the gospel. The second part is what will happen, and he looks forward particularly to his trial. Uh, He's awaiting this decision And depending on which way it goes, uh, he could face execution. And so from the end of verse 18, he looks ahead and again, he rejoices. See that? That Last part of verse 18. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers 
and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. That final phrase there, uh, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, that phrase is a quote from the book of Job in the Old Testament. Now, if you know the story, Job suffers terribly and all his friends say, Job, that's because you're a sinner, you've sinned, that's why uh, God is punishing you, He's, he's giving you what you deserve. But Job himself knows that he hasn't done anything to deserve this, to deserve what's happening to him. And so even in this awful situation, the thing he counts on is that God, that God will vindicate him. Job says, even though he slay me, even though he slay me, Job says, in the heavenly court, God will say that I didn't deserve this. He relies on God's vindication. And so Paul takes that quote and appeals to the same idea that even if I die, I know that I'll be vindicated by God. God will save me. Uh, This execution won't be a sign that God has abandoned me, that he rejects me. But I know that I'll be rescued on that day. And so he still rejoices. And That's how he manages to not worry about his own reputation, right? Because he doesn't need to prove himself to anyone else. Because he's looking to God. God is the one who will vindicate him. God is the one who will rescue him. So he doesn't worry about the people around and what they think. He only cares what God thinks. And we need to learn from that as well. In the modern world, in 21st century... We don't just need to prove ourselves, we need to constantly prove ourselves. You can't just have one great Instagram picture, you need an entire feed, right? You need to keep them coming. Because image and how people see us is so important, right? But Paul is not into that at all. He isn't worried about what people think of him, he's worried about what people think of Christ, Have a look there, verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. See, that is his ultimate mission, that Christ will be exalted. Even his mission to progress the gospel is really just a subset of that big mission, that Christ would be exalted no matter what. Whatever happens, life or death, whatever the outcome of this trial is, his mission, his goal is that Christ will be exalted. And that is ambiguity tolerance, right? It doesn't matter if I live or die, both those outcomes, that doesn't matter. Even an SAS soldier, you have to admit, um, Getting killed kind of wrecks the mission somewhat. But for Paul, that's not the case. It doesn't matter if he lives or dies because Christ can be exalted in both. And to make the point, uh, he talks about it as if the choice were his to make. He kind of enters into this imagination where it's all within his control. He says, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two, as if the two options are open to him. 
right? That's how clearly he sees them and sees that actually those two options don't matter. Exalting Christ is what counts. See how powerful that mission is to exalt Christ. It means that any circumstance, doesn't matter, any circumstance can be turned towards that goal. In fact, he says, uh, if he dies, it's better by far, he says. Better by far, because he gets to go, to depart and be with Christ, he says. Now, that's not a death wish. Uh, It's not that he kind of has this desire to, to go out and die. But what it reveals is the goal. Something unique and distinctive about being a Christian is that death does not signal the end. It's not this uh, fatalistic end of everything. It's the goal. To be in the presence of the risen Lord Jesus to know intimately our God and Saviour. Death signals the end of this life, but for those trusting in Jesus, it signals the start of an eternal life with God. That is the Christian hope. And so that end, that death, should not be something that holds us in fear, because Jesus is there for those trusting in Him. He says it's better by far. Should I go and be with him? But actually, Paul thinks there's something more necessary right now. He says it's better for him if he goes to be with Jesus, but it's better for you, Philippians, if I stay. Verse 24, he says it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. See, that we've come right around to the beginning again. Uh, At the start, Paul rejoiced in the progress of the gospel, despite being in jail. And uh, here, at the finish, he looks ahead to, to what's in front of him, and he's concerned about the progress of the Philippians' faith in Christ. While he has breath in him, while he has any strength at all, his mission is to use that breath, to use that strength, to exalt Christ through the progress of the gospel. To exalt Christ through the progress of the gospel. And as he writes this letter to the Philippians, he realises that there's still more of that that he can do. So he, he chooses uh, to remain in the body. So that's the picture. That's the picture of Paul's thought processes He manages to be flexible with every situation uh, because he's so crystal clear about his mission to exalt Christ through the progress of the gospel. And the reason that he's explaining all this to the Philippians is that he wants the same thing for them. He knows that they're going to go through hard times as well. And he wants them to be able to have that same mission. Have a look. The next verse down after this section... uh, Chapter 1, verse 27. See this again. Whatever happens. See, just like Paul's been thrown into jail, all this kind of stuff's happened, uh, things have gone pear-shaped. And Paul says to the Philippians, for you guys, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
you guys be ready whatever circumstance, whatever comes up, be prepared, like me, to exalt Christ through the progress of the gospel. He wants them to know their mission with such clarity that they can have that ambiguity tolerance, right? To, to cope when things don't go wrong. And, and not to worry how things work out for them and their reputation, but to be concerned about Christ, that He be exalted above everything else. And that is really important for us to hear, right? That clarity of mission. Because people will try to give you a whole bunch of missions in your life things to focus on, things to make yourself be about. Uh, Be about becoming a millionaire before you're 25, right? Uh, The goal of of travelling and making sure you see the world and experience everything or that mission of having a family and a happy, fulfilling home life. Uh, They might be good things, right? Uh, But if those things become the ultimate goal, then that mission will come unstuck, right? You'll get sick or you'll fail uni or Australia will hit a recession and the mission fails and there's nothing you can do about it. But if you have exalting Christ through the progress of the gospel as your life mission, then whatever happens, you'll be able to carry out uh, that mission you'll have maximum ambiguity tolerance, whatever life can throw at you. Can you exalt Christ through sickness? You sure can. It doesn't doesn't matter what sickness it is. Uh, In fact, sometimes uh, it's easier than in health to exalt Christ. Can Christ be proclaimed in a recession? He sure can. Sometimes even more than the boom time to exalt Christ through the progress of the gospel. Paul wants that to be the mission of the Philippian church and for us as well. We need to ask ourselves, is that our mission? Is that the thing that keeps us centred even when things kind of go crazy around us? How much are we invested in that? in the progress of the gospel, in ourselves and in others, in the people around us, either by talking to them about Jesus, by encouraging them in the Lord. I think that's a good uh, test to do uh, this week. Look at your, your weekly planner, your calendar, and have a look at how much of that time, how much of your energy goes into things that progress the gospel in the lives of others. I'm not saying that as a kind of critique, I'm saying that to, to see, are, are there places where I can invest time and energy into progressing the gospel in people's lives as uh, they come to know and understand more about Jesus and rejoice in those opportunities that you have to see that uh, written there in your diary. And finally, verse 21. Verse 21 is one of the more famous memory verses of the New Testament, Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is his summary of his thinking process. Uh, To live means to go on with that mission of exalting Christ through the progress of the gospel. To live is to live for Christ, 
and to die is gain. Uh, that glory of being with Christ. Now, that is his summary. And I think he wants it to be a slogan. He wants it to be a slogan for us. It's simple, it's memorable, and it captures in that dramatic way uh, just how clear our life can be. To live is Christ. To exalt him through the progress of the gospel. And the brilliance of it as a slogan is the way that it puts uh, every setback into the right frame. See, to die is gain. Even that greatest of all setbacks is actually to uh, achieve the goal of being with Christ. So nothing can really throw you off that mission. So here's my recommendation. Uh, Number two, my first recommendation is to look at your diary for those places where you contribute to the progress of the gospel. My second recommendation is to write down that slogan. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul wants us to remember it. Write it down in the front of your Bible, uh, get a whiteboard marker, uh, write it up on your mirror uh, this week. Get that slogan into your heart and into your head and keep focused on that mission to exalt Christ through the progress of the Gospel.